Great, thank you. Thank you, Fran, as well. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to find out more as time goes on. It'd be good to have you back at a prayer time or when we've got a bit more time for questions and answers and stuff. Well, uh, we're thinking about Christmas promise and uh, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet who, who had this great vision of hope. Uh, many of us uh, I will be aware that Christmas is a time where you read certain passages of the Bible. When you go to the carol service, there'll be certain passages read. And, uh, and these passages usually are, are in kind of two groups. Most of them, or some of them, are about uh, from the New Testament, about what happened, how Jesus was born, and so on. Uh, but there is also another bunch of readings from the Old Testament, which uh, contain the promises of Jesus' coming. And today I want us to look into one of these Old Testament readings, one of these Old Testament kind of looks forward into the future uh, of the coming of Jesus. Perhaps it's the most well-known of all of the Old Testament re- readings. Uh, whether this is why it's well-known, that Handel put it into the Messiah, his great work of, uh, of, of praise and, and great music and stuff. Uh, and it's in Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born, as they sing it in Messiah. In the won't try and sing the phrase uh, to you. That would be too too much. So you might like to turn it. Some of you are turning it up already. Uh, it's on page six hundred ninety-two of the Bibles that are near to you. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. And as I say, it's uh, the, the the work, the writings of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. This prophet who brought God's word to the people of Judah uh, and Israel, uh, you may well know, but I'll tell you if you don't, that at this time in the history of God's people, uh, the Jewish nation, they'd been divided into two kingdoms. There was uh, Israel, uh, the, the bigger one in the north, and Judah in the south. And the events that uh, Isaiah is looking towards uh, are, are this kind of gradual decline of, of both of these kingdoms, actually, till their eventual destruction, certainly the destruction of the northern kingdom, Israel. And then Judah was to follow into captivity a um, hundred years or so later. He's around in the time of some of the kings from about 740 BC for about 40 years. And his book, Isaiah, <laughs> named after him, is quoted most, really, uh, in the Old Test- from the Old Testament by the New Testament. Of, of all the Old Testament books quoted, Isaiah is quoted most, particularly in the Gospels uh, and also in the Epistles. He's here at a key time. A key time in the history of these two nation-states, Israel and Judah. A time uh, from, from which things are going to be really, really changing forever. As a result of these two kingdom-states, who were meant to be God's people, they were meant to carry the, the torch of God's truth and God's good news and, and, and God's presence into the nations around. They'd left all of that behind and were now worshipping false idols and there were all kinds of other things going wrong. And Isaiah brings God's word into that situation at a really critical point. And he's going to help them, or he will, through his word, explain what's happening, what's going to happen in the future, and why. He's going to go into great kind of agony in terms of, and the way he writes his poetry, you're going to feel his soul uh, uh, and the pain of us, as he realizes what it means to be loved by a, a, a holy God by a 
God of the covenant who's committed himself to these people who are now turning their backs upon him. How judgment will come upon them. And then in the future, something else, salvation. Well, let's start by reading uh, Isaiah 8. A few verses in chapter 8 there on page 693. I need to warn you, it's a little bit... um, Well, it's not an an easy reading, as you will see, but it it gets better, believe me. Verse 19. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living, to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. They will be thrust into utter darkness. I told you it wasn't a very happy reading. First of all, Isaiah sees this death of hope. The death of hope. All this is very early in his prophetic career. Uh, It all began in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Some of you will know the story. He had this amazing vision of God in his holiness and his glory. He he, He sees God and he hears God ask for someone to go for him. Here I am, says Isaiah, send me. And he's sent in chapter 6. And he's immediately told that the job he's got to do is not very easy. He's given a message that he's told people won't want to hear. In fact, they won't listen. In actual fact, the more he speaks to them, the more they'll stop their ears to what he's having to say. It wasn't easy. And sure enough, the first big event in Isaiah's career is he's prophesying, as he's bringing God's word into the the top levels of the, the the government of the nation of Judah, King Ahaz. There's a crisis The kingdom is threatened, and Isaiah, we read in these earlier chapters, brings God's word to the king and says to the king, look, God says, trust him, don't trust alliances, don't trust anything else, just trust God. But as usual, for all the kings, or many of the kings of Judah and Israel, he didn't take any notice of him, and he trusted himself, not to God, but to alliances, and and, and alliances with other nations. And Isaiah is given this word from God that talks of the consequences Israel, the northern neighbour of Judah, will be destroyed. And Judah will only just about survive this time. And there's worse to come. And verse 19 onward describes the results of this terrible devastation coming onto people's lives. Look at it, verse 19. These people won't listen to God now. They'll go anywhere else. They'll go to occultists or witchcraft or, or mediums. And, and the words in Hebrew are words like squeaking and muttering and, and, and moaning, the kind of w- ways in which people under the influence of, uh, uh, of so-called spirits will, will kind of say things. They, they whisper, they mutter, they squeal. But they're going nowhere. They're empty spiritually. They're confused. Isaiah says, look, you're you're trying to listen to dead people rather than the living God who has spoken in his word. You won't hear that. Do you remember that quote from Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton? He said once that when people stop believing in God, they don't believe nothing, they believe anything. And that's what's happening in Isaiah's day. They're going for any old stuff. 
And he paints this terrible picture of people who are distressed, people who are hungry, people who are empty, people who are angry, cursing the government, cursing God. He says in these verses, it's as if they're in a dark fog. In the the end of that, in verse 22, the word darkness appears three times using three words in the Hebrew, I'm told, from the, the, the scholars. Dark, dark, terrible, despair. It's the death of hope. Rough, isn't it? Now, does it sound familiar? Where are we today? We're in a mess, economically, socially. People, interestingly, are angry. They're enraged, some of them. We're told that's why they loot and riot. A lot of anger around in other ways. They blame the government. We blame the government. They blame God. People are in confusion, looking anywhere for answers. And why is that? Where has all this come from? Well, who have we been trusting for the last 40 years? You start reading it now, the press are talking about it. For the last generation, where has our trust been? Not in God. You know where it's been? Markets. What's a market? Financial success, greed. And now we've got no money and we've got nothing else either. And like in Isaiah's time, perhaps not quite like this, uh, but you can see I think there are connections. Isaiah paints a picture of people roaming around the, the earth not knowing what to do. And there's this sense, I think, that, that we have, people aren't necessarily, although some are, sofa surfing around the place not knowing what to do. But, um, you know, it, it's that sense of people, they can't, they don't know what to do, they're caught up in it. They just don't know where to go or what to do. It's not their fault that their leaders or our governments have trusted stuff that is going to let us down ultimately because it's based on greed. But they're all caught up in it. It feels as if hope has died, as in Isaiah's day. Well, you may disagree with that. I might be over-egging it a bit, but think about it, pray about it. But Isaiah has quite a bit more to say, thankfully. <laughs> so let's read on into verse chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress... In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Then comes this great poem. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. We'll stop there. So we've seen the death of hope. How about the dawning of hope? What a great word, nevertheless, is. Bit of good news there, isn't there? Isaiah is saying, I can see there's going to be a dark time. It's going to be rough. He's talking to the people of Israel. He's saying, it's gloom, it's darkness, it's despair, it's hard. But he says, there is a change 
on the way. And this chapter, in that, this verse 1 there, what's all this stuff about Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee and all of that kind of stuff? Well, these were the northern parts of the kingdom of Israel, and the invaders were coming down through uh, what is now Syria, the, Aram, uh, the um, NIV Bible calls it Arame- uh, the Aramea, uh, and they were coming down from Assyria, a big, powerful block further north. And they, 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 that was what came down and swept through the northern kingdom of Israel. And as I say, almost overwhelmed uh, Judah, but didn't quite. And um, those areas are right in the far north of Israel. They were the places that got hit first by the invading armies of the Assyrians. And what Isaiah is saying is that um, even there... Even those places that were hit the hardest, gloom is not the end of it. Change is on the way. There is a big contrast, verse 2. A great light can now be seen, he says. It's different. He says it's gradually emerging. It's great the way he combines it. It's seeing a great light, but, but a dawning as well. You know, it, it, for those of us who, who enjoy uh, being up early, you know, I must say I'm not one of them, but, or, or live in a country where it's very clear uh, most of the time and not covered in clouds uh, like here, um, dawn is a great experience, isn't it? As, the, as, as it, it gradually, but, but it, it's gradual, but it's definite. You know, it, once it's started, it's, there's no stopping it. it it's, the sun is going to be up there. And Isaiah sees something and he says, It's going to be like that. And the people, he says, in the dark places see it. He says, even those people living in the shadow of death, you know, they don't have to move somewhere else to see it. They don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to, in a sense, do anything. At one level, it's going to come. Light will shine. For them, right where they are, even if they live, even if they live down, you know, shadow of death close or, or wherever it is their address might be they're going to see the light as much as anyone else. And then he tells them in verse 3, why? Why is this happening? Well, you, who is the you there? Well, you is God. He said, God, you're doing something. It's a, a picture of God being at work again. God bringing joy to them again. You know, he says, look, there's a picture there of uh, in increasing their joy. What's the joy like? As people rejoice at the harvest. Now, Isaiah's looking into a situation and he's looking at people who seem like they haven't had a decent meal for a generation almost. They've been in, in you know, for harvest, they've forgotten what that's about. He said, but there will be joy coming, just like harvest. Those people who, who've been, felt like they've been you know, perpetually defeated and smashed and broken uh, in defeat, uh, like you know, a beaten up army for, for generations. Uh, Isaiah says, actually, joy will come to you like the joy that comes to people who've been victorious in a battle when they, you know, divide up the spoils of battle. And why is that? Because God is at work. Isaiah's telling them, he's telling us that God can work, that change can come, that God can do something. Do we need to hear that? Hope can dawn. It can be different. Joy is possible again because God can do it. It may start like the dawn. It may seem really slow coming. But the sun, says Isaiah, will rise. 
where does this kind of change come from? How can that be possible? What is Isaiah talking about? Well, let's read on. Verses 4 onwards, 4 to 7. Where he gives us now not just the dawning of hope, but the reason for it, the source of this hope. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every, every warrior's boot used in battle, sorry, that should read, for every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here's the source of the hope. Where is this hope coming from? Well, there are three verses here, verse 4, 5 and 6, and they all begin with the word for in the original uh, poem. They show us where this hope comes from. Verse 4, hope... Because God is a rescuer. That's what Isaiah is saying. He refers to the day of Midian's defeat. That's the story of Gideon. Uh, You may know the story, you may not. Don't worry if you don't. But it was a time in the Old Testament, it's in the early chapter of Judges, where God rescued his people in an amazing way. It was a completely hopeless situation, if you know the story of Gideon. Maybe we should do that sometime. It's a great story. Uh, Gideon is is the most unlikely hero. Uh, You know, he would have failed any kind of hero test. He's hiding in a in a wine press when, or not? You know, let's see. I'm getting into the detail. Not with a wine press, a threshing floor. When he we first meet him, and and God uses him and his useless ragtag tiny army of people to defeat the Midianites. It's a great story of God's rescue. God is a rescuer. It also refers to the way God rescued them out of Egypt, the Exodus. The words here used, it talks about the yoke, the burdens, the oppressor. Those are all key words in that Exodus. You know, the story of when when God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. Again, a a miraculous delivery. Um, Isaiah is saying God is a rescuer. He can still rescue, he can still intervene. And says Isaiah, he will. There's secondly, hope because war, in verse 5, and everything that goes on with war will come to an end. And there's this picture of, of, of war just over. The picture is of, of clearing up the rubbish after a battle uh, and getting rid of everything, burning all the, um, you know, the, 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 the boots and the, the stuff that's left over. It's about a permanent change that God can bring. And verse 6, there's hope Because a child is born. There it is. For to us a child is born. Someone is going to be born, says Isaiah. He says, a son is given. Interesting. A child born, a son given. So he's talking about a birth that's happening, the way it's going to happen. But he's talking about something more. He's saying God is giving something. God is giving someone. What does John 3 verse 16 say? God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Isaiah said, God is going to give a son. 
This child is going to be born as a king. He says, someone who can take government. Someone, says Isaiah, who can shoulder government and do it well. And do a marvellous job at it. And not screw it up one way or another because of his own fallibility or her own fallibility. And this king who's coming has a name. And there's a description in the name. And Isaiah gives us the name and he unpacks it in verses 6 and 7. For to us a child to, uh, uh, is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. You know, kings in those times had the, uh, in ancient times, had these names that kind of described them. Sometimes they were aspirational <laughs> rather than the truth, but they had these tremendous names. And here is the name that Isaiah said, this is the name of this king who can shoulder government. This is what he's like. Let's have a quick look at it. He's firstly a wonderful counsellor. Wonderful is a word that word is used in the Old Testament only for things that God does. Only about God. Again, a, a, an allusion in Judges. Some of you know the uh, story of Samuel. Remember that? that uh, not Samuel, Samson rather. Do you know the story of the angel that came that told Samson's mum that he, she was going to have a child? And the angels asked uh, the other couple, the parents, say, what's your name? He says, my name is Wonderful. It's kind of you know, I can't tell you my name, he says, it, it, it's wonderful. So this word wonderful has this idea of, of, of a wonderful counsellor, a supernatural counsellor. Someone who brings God's counsel, God's wisdom, God's truth into lives and into situations. Wonderful counsellor, that's what he's going to be. But more than that, uh, notice that he's got the supernatural, the word for only used for God is in there, wonderful the mighty God, well, there we are. He's going to be God. But God the warrior, the mighty victorious God. The everlasting father. The word everlasting in the Old Testament is used mostly of God. See what Isaiah is saying? A child is going to be born, but God's in this. God's coming. Prince of peace. That idea of wholeness in relationships, the shalom that, that uh, is often used uh, uh, by probably one of the uh, Hebrew words that most of us will know apart from amen is uh, shalom, peace and wholeness and this idea of bringing things that have been broken and dislocated back together again. Harmony, relationship with, between God and people, relationship between people and other people. Even a relationship kind of within ourselves, a wholeness and a, uh, an integration of our broken personalities and lives. The Prince of Peace. This King on David's throne forever, bringing justice and righteousness. And he says it's going to go on spreading. It's going to go on increasing. Uh, increasing. Uh, hope is here. And the reasons for hope, says Isaiah, is because this child is going to be born. This son is going to be given. So Isaiah has seen disaster as the people go away from God. He's seen gloom, he's seen darkness, but he's seen light dawning. He's seen hope coming in a promised king. He's seen God at work again, rescuing, accomplishing something. And Isaiah is so certain about this, he writes it in the past tense. It hasn't happened yet, but he writes it as if it has. And then in the present, as well as the future. But it's absolutely certain, Isaiah, because, he says at the end, God's zeal, the Lord Almighty, is going to do this amazing thing. Wish I could do the accent, but can you tell who it is yet? <laughs> who is he talking about? 
Isaiah's words proved true. The darkness came and the hope of God doing something completely new did just about remain alive through hundreds of years right up until an angel showed up. As an old priest in Jerusalem called Zechariah prayed on behalf of the people in the temple. And the angel said to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, your prayers are answered. What prayers, Zechariah? Well, Zechariah was praying, as as every priest did, as every Jew did, uh, every day for the coming of the king. Uh, He'd also been praying for his son, but I I I suspect as he was in the temple praying on behalf of the nation, he was praying that the king would come. And and Zechariah says, your prayers are answered. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be part of this program of the king coming. Your son's going to go before this one and prepare the way for him. Zechariah can't get any of this around his head, and, and you know the rest, the rest, as they say, is history, and it's in Luke chapter 1, you can read it for yourself, and, and John the Baptist is born. An angel comes to a teenage girl, and what does the angel say in Luke chapter 1? Just listen, don't turn to it just now, because you've heard it many times. Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, know who it is yet? Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's what Isaiah said. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That's what Isaiah said. Matthew, uh, uh, as he reflects on Jesus' ministry in chapter 4... Uh, thinks about Matthew, uh, thinks about his own life, probably, because he lived in Galilee. Matthew lived in around the parts that Isaiah talks about. Matthew uh, thinks about Jesus coming, uh, beginning his uh, ministry, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, says Matthew, talking of where Jesus began his ministry. To fulfill what was said by the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, he quotes Isaiah chapter 9 there chapter 8 it's all been fulfilled says Matthew it's Jesus the king has come Christmas saw Isaiah's hope begin Isaiah's hope begin to change the world forever but what about us let's finish it can be pretty dark around us at the moment as we said how do we live in this Isaiah did and Isaiah did that knowing what God could do knowing what God has done for us and as I did it, surrounded by a community who shared that faith and that truth, and you can read about them in Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8. There's more for us than Isaiah had, because for us, Jesus has come. Darkness has ended. We don't have to live with the consequences of our personal rebellion against God. The personal darkness can be broken. We can know God's loving government, God's reign in our lives, the government of ourselves. What's the hardest thing to govern? Me. Is that true for you? We can know his government in our lives, his kingship. Over the way we live, we can have peace and wholeness in our lives for us, and that can touch others. We can know hope again in our lives because of him. We can have the wonderful counsel of God in our lives. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the counselor as our, in our lives. We can know God as our father because we know Jesus as our king and our saviour. That makes a massive difference deep within us. 
even as everyone else has. And as we share those dark times, Jesus has come. Secondly, the New Testament tells us that as we live in the darkness around us at times, as believers, we have what Paul describes as Christ in us, the hope of glory. The book of Colossians says that Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope is in us. He is part of our lives as believers. That's how we live even in dark days. He's in our lives making a difference. A difference sometimes that when we're at our lowest, we may not see ourselves, but other people do. Our lives are really in his hands. He is our king, whatever we go through. And finally, his kingship, as we've seen in some of the songs we've sung today. This is Advent. uh, And we look past at God having come and we look forward to the future. When this promise that we've started to experience, this hope that we now have, now have this hope that is in us, will touch the whole world. Because God is not finished with this world yet. And when he comes to wind everything up and to put everything right, then we're going to be part of that when that happens. When these promises finally are realized everywhere for all eternity. We look forward to it, even in the darkness of the state we're in, either personally or collectively at this time as a nation. Let's be hope-filled people this this Christmas. If you haven't, can I encourage you to welcome Jesus into your life? If you want to know how to do that, come and talk to someone here and they'll explain it to you and you can pray it over then or you can go away and think more and pray on your own at some point. Let's welcome Jesus' rule in our lives. Let's live for him as our king, as our saviour, as the one who brings hope into our lives wherever we are this week for his glory. Amen.